Tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about the process of canonization or getting the canon of the Scripture. Uh, for those of you who are guests, we've been having lessons on Sunday nights just about our Bible, where we got our Bible, how, we, how we've come to have the Bible we have, and we'll, we'll look at this. It's not really, a, in some people's minds, a lot of glamorous Bible study, but it's a very important one because we'll see as we go through it. It's something that God promised we could have. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and I'd invite you to stand for the reading of the scripture tonight. And we're going to read a scripture and then turn to another scripture and read it. And then turn to a final scripture and read them before we pray. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse um, 1, the Bible says, Now therefore hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you. For to do them that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you, you shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall you diminish aught from it, that, it may keep the command, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Don't add anything to it. Don't take anything away from it. Now go to Proverbs chapter 30. This is a verse or a couple of verses that we read last Sunday evening. Just kind of read them again as a refresher. Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 5. The Bible says, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in Him. Add thou not unto His words, lest He reprove thee. And thou be found a liar. Don't add anything to his words. And then if you go to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22. The last book. The last chapter of the Bible. And if you look in verse 18. The Bible says. For I testify unto everyone that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. So all three of these passages, Deuteronomy, Proverbs, Revelation, speak directly to this Subject, and that is that God's Word is not to be tampered with. God's Word is not to be altered. We're not to add to His words, nor are we to take away from His words. Now, that would include the words that we hold before us, right? The words of the Bible. But if we're going to have the words of the Bible, we have to have the books of the Bible. How do we have the right books in our Bible, and these, if, if God really said these things, and God really did say these things, and if God really said these things, then we can know, because God said don't add anything to it or take away from it, we can know that there is a body of truth that is not to be altered. It's not to be taken from, it's not to be added to and so the question is, which books, which writings, which words would be included? 
in this book? That's a good question to ask, isn't it? We're going to talk about it briefly. When I say briefly, I don't mean like it's going to be a real short sermon. But compared to, the, to what you could study on this subject, it'll be extremely brief, right? Because there's a whole lot we could say. We'll, we'll just get the uh, abbreviated version. Let's pray. Father, help us tonight as we deal with this subject to have open minds and hearts. And Father, we thank you for the Word of God. And we want to be good stewards of your truth. We recognize tonight that there is and ha- always has been an all-out assault upon your word. And Father, we want not only to have the Bible, which obviously we do, but we want to have a better understanding of how we received our Bible and how important it is that we uh, believe it, support it, defend it. We ask for your help in that. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So this process is called canonization. We're going to talk about that and why it's important. You know, when the books of the Bible were being written, in the Old Testament time and in the New Testament time, the books that we have in our Bible, when the books of the Bible were being written, there were other religious writings being produced as well. Matter of fact, they're talked about in the Bible. Let's look at a couple of them. Just go to the book of Joshua, if you would, please. Joshua chapter 10. And there, there's many examples of this, or numerous examples of this. But here's, we'll look at a couple. In Joshua chapter 10 and verse 13, Joshua says, uh, the Bible says, And the sun stood still and the moon stayed, Joshua ten thirteen. Until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. And he says this, Is not this written in the book of Jasher? Now, if your Bible has Jasher in it, the book of Jasher, you've got a bad Bible. (laughs) But there was a book of Jasher. The book of Jasher is also mentioned in 2 Samuel chapter 1. Uh, If you're in Joshua, go to the right a little bit if you would please, to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. I'm illustrating a point, and that is there were other books being written during this period of time. 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 29. It says, now the acts of David the king, first and last. 1 Chronicles 29, 29. Behold, they're written in the book of Samuel, the seer. We have that in our Bible. And in the book of Nathan, the prophet. And in the book of Gad, the seer. Gad is a a name we're familiar with. Nathan, the prophet, is a man we're familiar with. Apparently these prophets wrote books, but they're not in our Bible. Why are they not in our Bible? Because they did not meet the criteria to be in the canon of the Word of God. They may have been reliable in many regards, but they were not put in the Word of God. In 2 Chronicles 12, it talks about the book of Shemei. Also in 2 Chronicles 12, it talks about a book by Iddo the seer. The seer was a word for prophet before they were called a prophet. So the question is, what books or writings would be included in the Holy Scriptures? The word canon, C-A-N-O-N, canon. 
What does that mean when we're talking about the Bible? Our English word, canon, C-A-N-O-N, comes from a Greek word. I would say it in English the same way, but it's spelled with a K, K K-A-N-O-N. And the word canon is a rule. It's like a measure. It's a standard. So when you're talking about the canon of Scripture, you're talking about the rules or standards that were applied to the books to determine if they were the Word of God, to determine if they were the sacred writings of Scripture. Now that question has been answered for us, to my satisfaction, and I trust to your satisfaction, but there was a process. When, you, when someone says the canon of the Scripture, what they're talking about there are the rules and the standards that were applied, and the canon is the collection of books that we have in our Bible. 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament. Canonization is the process of determining which writings measure up. Some people, I'll talk about this in a little bit, some Bibles have books in their Bibles that we don't have in our Bible. And the reason we don't have them in our Bible is because they didn't meet up to the standards of the Scripture, the canonization of the Scripture. So canonization is the process. It's important to note that canonization does not give the book its authority. The authority comes from God. Canonization recognizes the authority that God put upon these sacred writings. Canonization is determined by God, but it's recognized by men. And it's not as complicated as one might think. Um, The first time that the word canon was ever used for the Scriptures is in about 300 A.D., 300 years after Christ. And it was by a man by the name of Athanasius. And he used canon to describe the 66 books that we have in our Bible. So what are the rules? What were the rules that the canon relied upon? I'm going to give you four rules. First of all, they would look at the writer. Who wrote the book? Who wrote these books? Um, for instance, the book of the book that Moses wrote. We have we know that he gave us the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. So the question is, who were these people in the Old Testament? They were almost always prophets. We're talking about the Old Testament canon, but go to Romans if you would please, and we're going to look up a few verses. And if you don't have time to find them in your Bible, at least write them down so you can go back and read them yourself. And um, Romans chapter one. Notice something that Paul says about the Scriptures. Now keep in mind, when Paul is writing Romans chapter 1, the only Scriptures we had were the Old Testament Scriptures. In Romans chapter 1, in verse 1, he begins his epistle to the Romans by saying, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, separated, notice he says, unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So the Apostle Paul recognized that the writings of the Old Testament, which we'll say this again later, but the Old Testament canon was firmly established by the New Testament era. 
But Paul recognized here that these, these, this gospel had been promised by the prophets. And generally speaking, the writers of the Old Testament passage were prophets. And they were called the Holy Scriptures. Now, in the New Testament time, we're talking about what is the canon used? What are the guidelines? Number one, we're gonna, they were asking who wrote this stuff. Right? Who, who was the writer? And the, mostly in the Old Testament, it was the prophets. In the New Testament times, it was primarily the apostles, but also prophets. Go with me if you would. If you're in Ephes- uh, Romans, go to the right to Ephesians. And let's look at a passage here. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 1. We'll read a few verses. Paul writing, and he says in verse 1, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ... For you Gentiles, we're in Ephesians two, uh, 3 and verse 2. Ephesians 3, 2. If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. He, made, he said, God revealed these things to me. Then verse 5 he says, Which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And so where, did the, where do we get these New Testament uh, scriptures that we have? Who were the writers? Mostly the apostles and prophets. Now there were a couple of writers that did not meet either one of those categories. For instance, Mark gave us the second gospel. But it's, it's good to know that Mark was dis- discipled by Simon Peter. It's very clear to me by the studying the scripture. And uh, another writer that was not apostle or prophet was Luke, who gave us the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. But anybody that knows anything about the Bible knows that Luke was one of Paul's right-hand men. And so, so he had a, a lot of understanding about what was going on. So the first question in canonization was, who was the writer? And I'm hurrying through this. The second question has to do with the contents, about the message itself, about the, the letter itself, the books, the writings. Are they credible? Do they agree with other sound doctrinal writings? And we'll talk about this when we talk about, we got two more lessons at least on this series. One will be about um, preservation. The same God who promised inspiration promised preservation. He would preserve his word. And the other one will be about translation. How do we get these Bibles that we have? How were they translated? And all this will be abbreviated. Um, but if you were to have, and by the way, there are, they were. They have been. We. There are thousands, thousands, literally thousands of manuscripts, of manuscripts or copies of copies of copies of ancient writings, and including the Scripture, books of the Bible, portions of the books of the Bible. And I'm trying to illustrate a point. If you had, if you had a hundred uh, manuscripts on the book of Ezra, for instance, and 99 of them said. A verse said one thing, and one of them said something that contradicts everything else in the Bible, then you would question the reliability of that manuscript. Does that make sense to you? 
And so we look at the contents. Do they agree with other doctrinal writings? And something that an unsaved person could not relate to, they would ask themselves, do these writings exhibit spiritual life? Because the Scriptures are unlike any other writings in the world. Because they're God's Word. So... What is the process of canonization? We look at the writer. We look at the contents. Thirdly, we look at their acceptance. Was the book, whatever book it is, was it the book of Ephesians, is where my Bible is open to, or whether it would be the book of Samuel, was the book universally accepted? That's especially relevant in the New Testament. If the apostles and church leaders and congregations... And Christians did not recognize or accept them as being inspired scripture, their authenticity would be questioned. And if you were to study, if you're if you were to study, get a book on the subject of bibliology and study it, you would find that many people, not even not just people in the Bible, but people in the first century, people we would sometimes call uh, church fathers, people who pastored these churches after the apostles passed away. There were people who pastored those churches, and like people like Tertullian and different people of that nature. And if in their writings, they would quote verses from the very Bible, the same verses we're reading in our Bible, which which authenticates the fact that these were accepted by the churches. In those days, were they accepted? Did the apostles accept them? One of the things we'll notice in a moment is Jesus often quoted from the books of the Old Testament. I mean, Jesus himself authenticated those books. The fourth thing is, do they seem to have divine authority? Are they in harmony with other scriptures? And so this, this is the process in the, and, and we're going to talk about the Old Testament first, then the New Testament. But books of the Old Testament were generally universally received as they were written. First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, the book of Ezra, the book of Nehemiah, the book of Esther. I mean, these books, the Jews recognized, first of all. Now, I know we live in a day much different than the day that the, of the Old Testament time. But the Jewish people were a unique people. They were God's people. And the Jews recognized that they were special people before God. And God committed to them the oracles of God. And um, they recognized that God called prophets and spoke through prophets to give His word to the people. That, the, that was their culture. Whether it's Isaiah or Jeremiah, one of these men, Ezekiel, they recognized men like, um, you know, just prophets who spoke for God. And so the Jews recognized that as a fact. Uh, Josephus is a name um, some of you are familiar with. Josephus was a Jewish historian, a well a written and a Jewish historian after the time of Christ, first century. So wrap your mind around this. Here's a Jewish historian in the first century, and he he wrote about the fact that there was no there were no Jewish scriptures given 
since the time of Artaxerxes. If you're familiar with the, the period of time when Israel was coming back from their Babylonian captivity, Artaxerxes will stand out in your mind. That's 400 years before Christ. A Jewish historian wrote in the first century that there had been no scriptures from God for the last 400 years. So they, they were Jewish people well informed about their scriptures. And the reason was because there were no prophets. By the way, in the first century, Josephus listed the, the canon of the books of the Old Testament, and, when, and in doing so, he gave the same list that you have in your King James Bible. The Old Testament canon was established before the New Testament times. Jesus established a large portion of the Old Testament canon. Uh, Go with me, if you would, please, to Luke chapter 16. And we're just talking about how the, the Bible that we have came together. In Luke chapter 16 and verse... Um, 27, this is, this is the story of rich man and Lazarus. And um, this rich man who was, who died and in hell lifted up his eyes. He's got a burden for his brothers that are still alive. In verse 27, then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, talking about Abraham, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. Please send someone to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. And Abraham said, or Abraham saith unto him, notice what Abraham said. These are words of Jesus. Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Now, why would Jesus say such a thing? Because because these were already, the canon of the Old Testament was already finished. It was already decided upon. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, the word of God, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. So Jesus... Jesus referred to the, um, these writings as the Scriptures, the Word of God. I mean, by the way, it may seem simplistic to some people, but if the Old Testament writings were good enough for Jesus, they ought to be good enough for us. Amen? Go with me to Matthew chapter 23, if you would. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 34. Matthew 23:34 Wherefore behold I send unto you prophets Jesus has been conversing with the Pharisees Behold I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes and some of them you shall kill and crucify and some of them shall you scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city Verse 35, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth. From the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, the son of Barachias, whom you slew between the temple and the altar. Now Jesus makes this statement about all the, 
all the righteous blood that has been shed since the, since the killing of Abel, Cain killed Abel in the book of Genesis, until Second Chronicles 24 records the killing of the blood of Zacharias, who was a, also a prophet, son of Zacharias, whom you slew between the temple and the altar. Now, I, there's significance to that, I'm certain of, and it has to do with the Hebrew canon, the Old Testament canon. Did I, did I send y'all a, 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 a list of the churches? Could we see this? Or the list of... We, not a list of... The list of... The, this, is, these, this is a list of the Bible verses... Um, the Bible books, I'm sorry, in the Hebrew Bible. They're not in the same order that it's in our Bible. The Hebrew Bible has them in a different order. So we have the first of all is the law and goes on. We have the prophets, Joshua, Judges, and on. Then we have more prophets down through the book of Malachi. Then we have the holy writings, Psalms, Proverbs, Job. But notice the book of Chronicles. First and second Chronicles are the last book in the Hebrew Bible. The Hebrew Bible has a different order of books than we do. Our la- the, ba- the last book of our Old Testament is what? The book of Malachi. The last book of the Hebrew Bible, it's the same books, but they're in a different order, is the book of Chronicles. So when Jesus said here, all the righteous blood from Abel to the blood of Zacharias, he is saying from the book of Genesis to the book of Chronicles, which is from the first book of their Bible to the last book of the Bible, which is, which is basically saying throughout the whole canon of the Scripture. that the Old Te- So the, the Old Testament canon was determined before the birth of Christ. Now, let me just say a word about the Old Testament books of the Apocrypha. Uh, how many of you came from a Roman Catholic background? Let me see your hand. Several of you. Are you all familiar with the book of the Apocrypha, the Maccabees, and some of these books? These, these books, these Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the Apocrypha, that like they were in the Latin Vulgate, but they were not in the Hebrew Bible. They were not recognized by the Jewish people. Matter of fact... All the writings of the Apocrypha, these are extra-biblical writings. All the writings of the Apocrypha were written in Greek, not in Hebrew. The Old Testament canon was established, firmly established, before the Apocrypha was written. Martin Luther, who was not a Baptist, he was a reformer, but he said this, the Apocrypha, that is, books which are not regarded as equal to the Holy Scriptures, and yet, he says, are profitable and good to read. He said, the things in them worth reading, but they're not the Scripture. The Apocrypha was rejected from our canon for a number of reasons. Number one, they were never accepted by the Jews. That was one of the, can- one of the standards for making it into the Word of God. How is it accepted, especially the Old Testament writings, by the Jews? They never accepted the Apocrypha. Second of all, No place does Jesus or the apostles ever quote from the Apocrypha. They quote from Old Testament writings, but not from the Apocrypha. And and basically, there's so many contradictions 
It doesn't stand up to the criteria. Now, I'm, not, I'm just saying, um, if you wonder why some books did not get into the Bible because they didn't belong with the Bible. They were not recognized. They, were not, they had contradictions. Now, the Apocrypha, and I think, if, I hope you'll hear this, the Apocrypha were included, those writings were included in some of the old English Bibles, including the early editions of the King James Bible. Now, that may throw some people off a little bit, but the King James translation, originally, some of them had apocryphal books in it, but every place they were, they were in the appendix or with an explanation. In other words, they were not recognized as being the Word of God. And um, later on, the Catholics at the Council of Trent in 1546 A.D., they inserted the Old Testament into the Old Testament, the Apocrypha, but they're not recognized as Scripture. The whole lesson tonight is about the canon of the Scripture. How do we know what books are supposed to be in the Bible? And we'll talk about this when we talk about translations, but one of the, one of the things that is used to confuse people is when they talk about the older manuscripts. Well, just because something is older doesn't necessarily mean it's more accurate. It doesn't necessarily mean it's better. And we have in before us the most accurate translation of the Bible, the Word of God, in the English language. And we thank God for that. What about the New Testament canon? What about the writings of the New Testament? These books from Matthew to the book of Revelation, written between 50 A.D. and 95 A.D. And one of the great marks of canonicity was the contribution of the apostles because they were eyewitnesses of the things that had occurred. Peter wrote about that in his second epistle. He said, we were eyewitnesses of his, talking about his transfiguration. Um, an interesting thing, if you take and look with me in Second Peter for a moment. Second Peter chapter 3. And keep in mind that these books of the New Testament era were being written by different people in different places at different times. John the Beloved gave us the Gospel of John. He gave us the epistles of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd epistle of John. He also gave us the book of the Revelation. Um, Paul, his epistles were being written different times, different places. Some of them referred to as the, the uh, uh, prison epistles. He wrote from a jail cell. And Simon Peter gave us a couple of our epistles, the book of James, all these different people writing at different times. But one thing that's interesting, when you read your Bible, you may never notice this, but at the time that the New Testament was being written, these scriptures that would be a part of our New Testament were already being circulated to, among the churches. Isn't that an interesting thing? Uh, for instance, look in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. Now Peter's writing here, and he's going to bring up the Apostle Paul. In verse 15 it says, "...an account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation." Even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. 
He said, Paul, our brother, has written unto you, verse 16, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood. So he's, he's writing and he says, Paul, you've already seen some of Paul's writings. Paul is writing these epistles. You say, well, how did they get, there was no printing press, how did they get them out? They would hand write them. We'll talk about that when we talk about preservation. They would hand these, they would write out the verses, write out the chapters, and they would distribute it among the churches. And Peter uses this language in verse 16, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, they twist them, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. So here we have Peter writing in the New Testament era, and in writing he's referring to Paul's epistles, which are already being circulated, and while he's doing that, he's putting them on the same level as the other scriptures. So we look back and we wonder how this came to pass. And it came to pass by people writing individual letters, epistles, and they would be copied and they would be distributed among the churches. There are numerous examples of this. Uh, look with me if you would please. Just uh, Let's go to a very familiar one to the right of there where you are. You're right in the neighborhood. Revelation chapter 1. And verse 11. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ to John, John the Beloved, John exiled on the island of Patmos for the Word of God and for His testimony of Christ. And Jesus reveals Himself to him there. But look in verse 11 it says, Verse 10, excuse me. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, here's the voice he heard on the Lord's day. I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. So these New Testament epistles, these books are being written, they're being distributed, and we have the communication of Jesus to, Paul, to John saying, when you get this done... I want you to make sure this epistle goes to these churches. And those, those people in those churches and those church fathers and, and uh, these apostles and writers recognize that these were not just words of men. These were the very words of God. One other place. Go to the left a little bit to Colossians, if you would. And we're talking about how the New Testament canon came into existence. In Colossians chapter 4 and verse, four, verse 15, Paul writes and he says, Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea. Laodicea, of course, uh, the side of one of the churches that we are familiar with in the book of Revelation. 
It was a, it was a um, well-known city. Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea and Nymphus, an individual, and the church which is in his house. So Paul writes to the Colossians and he says, Please give my greetings uh, to the brethren in Laodicea and the church that's in the house of Nymphus. Verse 16. And when this epistle is read among you, Colossians, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans. That doesn't tell us. Did they read the epistle at Colossae and then send the epistle to the Laodiceans? Did someone copy that letter? We don't know. But this was the practice in New Testament era. They were getting these writings, these sacred writings, and they would distribute them among the churches. A very interesting phrase, the last part of verse 16, where it says, See that you be read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. There's no definitive explanation for what that refers to. The epistle, see that you, the Colossians, likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. It could be that Paul wrote a letter to the church at Laodicea, but it was not determined to be a part of the canon. It could be some other epistle. They speculate about a lot of things, and I'm not going to get into speculating tonight. I'm just telling you that's the practice. And through the course of this, the New Testament canon was established. And it needed to be established, of course. But there were, I was just reading about a number of various church councils uh, that met in the first few centuries uh, after Christ. The Synod of Laodicea in 363 A.D. At that time, there was a, there was a restriction forbidding the reading of non-canonical books. So the canon, the entire canon, was established by that time. In uh, the Council of Hippo, in 363 A.D., the Councils of Carthage, in 397, all of them listed the canon of Scripture, the 66 books of the Bible that we have in our King James Bible. So it was important to the church leaders to establish the canon of the Scriptures. As I mentioned earlier, the first known use of canon was in 367 A.D. when all the books of the Bible, including the 27 books of the New Testament, was called the canon of Scripture by a man by the name of Athanasius. So, the conclusion is, everything about um, that we've said thus far, we talked about the authority of the Scripture, we talked about the inspiration of the Scripture, and in every case, we see that it's based upon the promise of God. God promised to inspire His Word. And God promised that that Word would be kept intact. So I say this again, for the, in case you missed it or in case you just want to need to be reminded, our, our confidence is not in the men who decided. Our confidence is in God who promised that He would provide a Bible that was just as He wanted it to be and we're not to tamper with it. We're not to add to it. We're not to take away from it. It's His Word. He used men to pen the words, and He used men to recognize 
the authoritative Scriptures. And what we hold in our hand is His eternal Word. It didn't originate, as we said last week, it didn't originate with the writers, it didn't originate with the men, it originated with God. It's God's eternal Word. Forever, O Lord, Thy Word is settled in heaven. And it's a miracle that God got His settled Word in heaven into our hands. Isn't that an amazing thing? God is good. And you say, well, I just don't know if I can trust men. You don't have to trust men. Trust God. It's His promise. Amen? Amen. This is like a, an abbreviated bibliology study. We're going to look at preservation. How God promised to preserve His Word. And we're going to look at the translation issue. And so all of you who know Hebrew and Greek, be sure and be here on that night. Amen. Young people, look at me here for a moment. I, I, I just want to just impress upon your minds and upon your hearts how valuable this book is. It's a miraculous book. It's God's book. Amen.